Welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. Good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? Awesome, awesome. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me, or maybe you're on a smart device. You can swipe with me to 1 Timothy. This is in the New Testament. Um, it's a, a book written by Paul. He wrote about half of the New Testament. So your Bible's divided into these two big sections. You've got the Old Testament and then the New Testament. So this is in that second chunk, about halfway through 1 Timothy. There's a couple of those, First and Second Timothy that Paul wrote, ironically enough, to a guy named Timothy. All right, some of you guys are with me today. Some of you are a little groggy. It's a little gray and rainy outside. We're going to get there. Um, we'll, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we'll land there in just a moment. Um, we're actually in week three of uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Family. Um, hey, it goes by quick. It goes by quick, I know. And it, it, feels, like, it feels like we started it. Um, you know, five, five weeks ago, but actually two weeks ago, uh, we kicked it off. We've been talking about the things that families lack. We've been talking about things that the families lack. And uh, two weeks ago, we kicked it off by talking about how dysfunctional families lack discipline. And we learned that daily discipline leads to a lifetime of discipleship. Last week, we talked about uh, dysfunctional families lack proper priorities and that our priorities determine our purpose. And this week, we're going to take a look at the fact that dysfunctional families lack provision. Dysfunctional families lack provision. So if you're taking notes, you can put that at the top of your page this morning. We're going to jump in. You know, uh, I don't claim to know very much about today's youth. Um, Even though I have a couple kids myself, um, they constantly remind me that I'm starting to get older and out of touch. And when I try to push back on that, they always point to this burgeoning bald spot on the back of my head, and they're like, see, Dad, you're just, you know, you're, I I turned 37 here in a couple months, and they say you're almost 40, and, you know, they won't even give me, I I get no credit at all whatsoever. But there's one thing that I've discovered, like in in today's young generation, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around it. Um, and it's, it's not just this phenomenon that is YouTube, um, because that in and of itself, I think, is brilliant in terms of our ability to express ourselves um, in a creative manner. And the things that people have put on there is just genius. But the thing that I don't understand is what our children are actually watching on YouTube. Sometimes I will come in the room and I'm standing there lo- and I'm like... Do we need to have some sort of intervention here? Like, I don't even, like, what's, you know, what's taking place? But the biggest phenomenon, the the biggest thing that I just can't figure out is my son, he's 12. He watches people play video games. All right. Now, he watches people play video games that he owns himself and could be playing. And I walk in and and he's like, Dad, check this out. And I'm like... We bought you this game. It was $60. And you're watching someone play it. Like, I could have saved my money, you know? And, and I'm, I, I, just, I, just don't, I just don't get it. And he said, well, you watch people play basketball on TV, and we've got a hoop in the driveway. Noted. It's a good point. It's a good point. Um, 
So I started to do a little research into some of the people that my son is watching play video games. And there's this particular game that's really hot right now. It's called Fortnite. Some of you have heard me mention it. And there's this, this one very avid gamer. Um, he's, one, he's considered to be one of the best in, in, in the world at this. And he goes by the screen name or the gamer tag Ninja. All right, and this guy, I'll just be honest, he's kind of a dork, okay? Like, if I can just make that call, I mean, that's a snap judgment, no pun intended, but I see him um, on, on TV, I believe, or on, the, on these streaming channels, I believe he's in his parents' basement, um, you know, a 20-year-old something, and, and I'm looking at this, and, and I mean, these kids, I'm watching them watch, and they're just super engaged in all of this. But I, I started to do a little research, and I discovered this man makes $500,000 a month playing a video game. And so I told Luke, hurry up and eat your dinner so you can go and play video games. Like, son, it's time to wake up. The, the sun's coming up in just a couple hours. You need to get up and get on your Xbox because you need to make some money so that you can support me in the lifestyle to which I've become accustomed. That's why we bought you these games. All right? So get on it, you know? And it just... I'm amazed, and we would look at that guy, and we would say that even though it's in some, some way that is unorthodox and in a way that I don't understand, we would label that guy as he's successful, right? $500,000 a month, imagine the tithe if we could get him to come to Christ's walk. <laughs> imagine the tithe that that would generate. Man, would make a pastor so happy. And so... I want that for my son. We, we want to be successful people. We want to be good and successful at what we do. And when you look up the definition of success in the dictionary, this is what you get. The attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. And I read that and I thought, man, that's kind of a stinky definition of what we've made success out to be. We look at someone and the size of their bank account, and that's what we've dubbed as successful. Or we look at someone's trophy case, and that is what we have dubbed as successful. And as I begin to, to, to look at this, I thought, I think maybe we're getting it wrong. And I think maybe the, the family's quest to be successful, and don't get me wrong, we, we all enjoy wealth and position and honor, and there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. But I think where we've lost touch here in this current generation is that we've become so focused on success that we've said yes to some things we didn't need to say yes to, and we've said no to some things that we really should have put a lot more focus on. See, we want to be like successful people because of what it seems to gain them. But it's few and far between that we ever stop to consider what that success actually costs them. You know, right now, um, I'm enthralled in watching the NBA playoffs. We've got the, the, the um, Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics, Game 7 to go to the finals. We've got the, the Golden State Warriors and the, the Houston Rockets, game seven, to go to the finals. It's getting intense. And right now, 
we are seeing some of the best basketball players of all time. Arguably the best basketball player of our time. Don't, don't at me, okay? Look, I, Michael Jordan, whatever. LeBron, I get the argument, but we're, we're probably seeing the best basketball player ever right now in LeBron James. And, and we look at that guy and I think, that'd be nice. To be that big and that muscular and to have all that money and all that fame and all, you know, that would be good. But I haven't stopped to consider all of the nights on the road that he spends away from his family. All of the hours that he spends in the gym, the, the, the diet and the exercise that he has to endure, and where he goes, everywhere he goes, it's truly life in the fishbowl. He can't get away, he can't have a moment to himself, but but man, the success, that'd be nice. And we start, we see people like that, and and, and maybe it's not LeBron James in basketball, maybe it's someone in the the business field, or or someone in the education field, or the medical field, or whatever, and, and we look at their life and everything, and we start to compare ourselves to them, and really what we're seeing is we're seeing their highlight reel. And we look at ourselves, and we're thinking, man, like, we really need to step up our game. Like, we don't have our stuff together. We're following them on social media. We're, we're seeing, you know, reports on, on TV about these people. And, and we've elevated and escalated them in our lives. And, and, and we start to say two very dangerous words. If only. If only I could have a little bit of that. Then my life would be better. If only I could experience some of what they have, then my life would be a little bit better. If only I could have a small taste of the success that that person has, then maybe my life would be better. And if only is dangerous because it causes us to compromise. It causes us to buy into the lie that we need to pursue certain things over here that we have no business pursuing and that we turn our back to things over here that that's really where God has called us to place our focus all in the name of being successful in terms of what the world around us thinks. If only... And if we're not careful, if only can drive us to a place that we don't want to be. And it might look something like this. Okay. 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 Absolutely, Jeffrey. I'll get it for you first thing in the morning. 6 a.m.? Sure. And I'll copy Michael, Ricardo, and David. Anything else? Thanks for the opportunity. Daddy! Daddy. Oh, Rachel. Uh, Sorry, Daddy. Rachel, honey, you have to go to bed. You have preschool tomorrow. Go. Yes, Mommy. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Rachel. Sorry I, uh... Welcome home. Yeah, thanks. Let's, uh, try that again. Better.
you, Dad. Hey, son. What are you still doing awake? Mom told me I could wait up for you. I'm gonna play Little League this year, and well, I was wondering if you could help me learn how to throw a baseball. You know what, son? Do you think you could have your mom help you with it? Just because I'm so busy with work, you know, all my scripts and the office. Okay. What? You know, if we aren't careful, we can get so caught up in our pursuit of worldly success that we can leave the most important things left behind. If only I had that, will never, never be more beneficial than if only I had this. My wife, and my family, my relationship with God. So we can never turn our eyes in a pursuit of something that we have no business of pursuing, if it means that we have to leave the most important things behind. Because here's the deal. If you're taking notes, write this down because it's really good. Your family deserves the best of you, not the rest of you. Your family deserves the best of you, not the rest of you. And in, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 this is Paul, and he's writing to a young pastor. And in fact, it was, it was Paul's protege. And Paul had, had gone around on several missionary journeys, and he was raising up churches, establishing churches. And then he was, he was putting pastors in place to, to care for and shepherd the people. And the church in Ephesus, to where Paul wrote the, the letter of Ephesians, this is the church that he's dealing with now. And he's established Timothy as the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And Timothy is a young man. And Timothy's trying to figure out what it means to be the pastor of a church. And so Paul, is, he has written these two letters in First and Second Timothy to give Timothy some directions and some instructions on how he's supposed to live and how, how he's supposed to behave and some things he needs to look out for and some things he needs to put in place. No doubt, Timothy, he was just like any of us. He wanted to be successful. He wanted to make an impact with his church in the community. He wanted it to grow. He wanted it to reach lost people for the name of Jesus Christ. He wanted to change the face of his city. And so that's why he was in the position that he was in. And Paul is writing to him and he's issuing some, some guidelines and even some warnings for some things that Timothy needs to consider in terms of being a leader in the church. And we get to 1 Timothy 5, 8, and Paul writes this to Timothy, whoever does not care for his own relatives, especially his own family members, has turned against the faith and is worse than someone who does not believe in God. 
Wow. That's a big deal, guys. He's saying that if, if you aren't adequately providing for your family at the expense of your church or your job, then you have become worse than someone who doesn't even believe in God, that they're not even part of the faith. A little bit earlier in Timothy, uh, in, in this letter to Timothy, Paul is writing and he's talking about church leaders and, and he calls them by name or by title elders and deacons in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and, and he admonishes them. He says, these people, these leaders in the church, above all else, they must lead their families well. This was a church leadership prerequisite. And he continues on to Timothy and he's saying, but not even from a pastoral perspective, just anybody who belongs to the church, anyone who is a part of the faith, you need to know that if they don't care for their own relatives, particularly those who live in their own household, their immediate families, then they are worse than someone who does not believe in God. They've turned completely against the faith. See, here's what Paul is communicating to Timothy, to a young up-and-comer, something that he needs to know, that it doesn't matter how big you win in the marketplace if you're losing in the home place. We've got to win at home above all else. And so I think that there is a few things, a few shifts that we can make or, or a realignment of some of our priorities into a proper progression that will get us to the place where we can provide for our families the way that God has called us to do so. And so I want to I talk to you for just a few minutes about four um, four things that you need to get in order that I'm calling the provision progression. So four things that you need to get in order if you're taking notes, write these down, and they are in this order for a reason because this is the progression in which they should take place in your life in accordance with the responsibilities that God has allowed you to have. The first one of those is, first off, you have a responsibility as a person. You have a responsibility as a Person, And this is tied into your relationship with God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he writes, Seek first, what? First, the kingdom of God and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. And then... Everything else will be added unto you or will be given to you as well. Your needs, some of your wants, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. But only if you seek first the kingdom of God. You know, when you go back and you look up that word in the Greek, the original uh, uh, language, you know what it means? It means first. You've got to put your relationship with God first in front of everything else. Wait, you mean my wife? Yes, I mean your wife. You mean my kids? Yes, I mean your kids. You mean my job? Yes, I mean your job, your hobbies, whatever. God should come 
first. If you want to honor God, he comes first in all things, in all aspects of life, in all areas of life. This is the foundation by which life should spring forth from. All right, every single thing that you do, the way that you provide, that you bring about provision in your life should start with your relationship with God. That everything you are as a person is due to the overflow of the relationship that you have with God in your life. That means that you should spend time reading your Bible. That means that you should spend time praying. That means that you should spend time practicing other spiritual disciplines, fasting and things of that ilk. That means that you should make church attendance a priority. That means that you should give of your tithes and your offerings in accordance with the word of God. That means that you should prioritize serving in the church. And being a part of a small group and holding yourself accountable to the, to the, the principles and, the, and the, the procedures of the faith with other like-minded believers. That's what it means to put God first. That you're generous to the world around you with your time and your talent and your treasure and your testimony. Because you're putting God first in all things. And if we will do that, then there is a promise that comes with it. If we will seek God first, if we will put him first, if, if we will we'll make doing the things that please him and that honor him, if we'll make that our number one priority, then the promise is all of these other things will be added to us. But we usually get that backwards. We seek all of these other things first and then we're trying to figure out where are the nooks and crannies that we can give God? The leftovers, no, but he is a part of our family. We are his children. And so he is included in our family as our heavenly father. And our family deserves the best of us, not the rest of us. Not the leftovers, not the crumbs. The very, very best that we have to give. So first, we have a responsibility as a person in our relationship with God. Second, we have a responsibility as a partner. We have a responsibility as a partner, and this is in our relationship with our spouse. All right, so let me talk to the people that aren't married right now for just a second. All right, you're not married, but maybe you will be one day. So what are you doing right now to prepare yourself for that person that you're going to marry? What are you doing right now to, to pave the way for that? And it all comes back to you putting God first. Are you putting God first so that when that person comes into your life, that you'll be able to have a healthy relationship? And then for those of you that are married, for those of you that are married, are you putting God first in your marriage? There's some guidelines that, that Paul actually writes in Ephesians and, and Colossians about this. Ephesians 5.33 says, But each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And a wife must respect her husband. Paul also writes in Colossians 3, 18 and 19, he says, Wives, yield to the authority of your husbands. 
because this is the right thing to do in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be gentle with them. In, in a married relationship, we have a responsibility to one another. Husbands have a responsibility to their wives. Wives have a responsibility to their husband. But that comes out of the overflow of those individuals' relationship with God the Father. I want you to think of it in terms of a triangle, all right? If you have a triangle, it starts very narrow at the top, and then it comes down and it creates a base at the bottom. And there are three points, one at the top, and then two down here at the base on the edges. And if you put you as the husband at one of these points on the base, and you put you as a wife, this other point at the base, and then you put God as the top point, then watch what happens. As you as individuals pursue God and you chase after him, what does it do? It brings you closer and closer and closer together. See, it's not about pursuing each other. It's about pursuing God. And then what will happen naturally is that you will be drawn as a husband to your wife. Wives, you will naturally be drawn to your husbands as you grow in Christ together because everything happens out of the overflow of first our relationship with God. And that is how we are able to provide for our spouse. And the relationship that we have with them is by seeking first God and his kingdom. That will allow us to be our best and to give our spouse our best instead of the rest. So first, we have a responsibility as a person. Second, we have a responsibility as a partner. Third, we have a responsibility as a parent. Some of you are married but you don't have kids right now. What are you doing right now to set the stage in your relationship with God and in your marriage relationship with your spouse to prepare the way for when kids come onto the scene? Because let me tell you what will happen. If you are not putting God first and then taking care of your marriage relationship, when kids come onto the scene, they will take over. That's just how it happens. All of a sudden, you're up to your elbows and in diapers and bottles and Gerber baby food, and you don't know what happened. It's just like a cyclone going on. And the kids, like, they, they, they're self-centered, little punks, and they think it's all about them, you know? And so if you're not putting safeguards in now then the child will begin to rule the home. No, the child is not the ruler of the home. God is the ruler of the home. Kid, you need to get in the back seat where you belong because it's about God and then it's about me and my relationship with my, my spouse and then it's about the children because this is proper order and this is God's design for how we provide for our families. Paul writes in, in Ephesians and Colossians again as well, talks to families, talks to parents of their children. In Ephesians 6, 4, this is what he says. He says, fathers, do not make your children angry, but raise them with the training and teaching of the Lord. Look, if, if you're not engaged in a relationship with God and that's not intact the way that it needs to be, then guess what you're not going to be able to do for your kids? You're not going to be able to raise them with the training and teaching of the Lord if you don't know what the training and the teaching of the Lord is yourself. 
All right? It's not just going to happen by accident. You've got to be purposeful in it. Paul writes further in Colossians 3, 21. He says, fathers, do not nag your children. If you are too hard to please, they may want to stop trying. And I've got two kids. I've got a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old. And you know what? The things that drive me the most nuts about them are the behaviors that they display that they've learned from me that are improper and out of order and out of place. And I haven't dealt with it in my own life. And so they've caught it from me because I've taught it to them. And then they do it and I'm like, but I need to point that finger at me because it's my fault. It's my fault. See, our kids are only going to model what we put in front of them. They are going to follow the pattern and the path that we have established for them. So that's why we've got to train them in the teaching of the Lord. We need to exemplify love, joy, peace, patience. That was for me, not for anybody else. Patience. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. (laughs) Kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control if that's what we want our kids to display. Because we have a responsibility to them as their parent. But that responsibility to provide for them as parent comes out of the overflow of our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse. And if both of those things are intact the way that they need to be, then we will be able to parent our children in a way that will raise them up in accordance with the teaching and the training of the Lord. It's all about setting the proper progression and not letting things get out of order in our life. See, first, we have a responsibility as a person. Second, we have a responsibility as a partner. Third, we have a responsibility as a parent. And then finally, fourth, we have a responsibility as a professional. This is what you do. This is your job. For me, it's a pastor. I have the greatest job in the world. It's better than any of yours. All of them put together. I pastor the coolest church in the world. All right? In spite of me, it's cool. Okay? This is what we do. Some of you, you work in the business world or in the medical field or, or in the restaurant business or, or some of you are stay-at-home moms. That's your profession. That's what you do. Some of you are students right now and that's your profession. That's what you do. But these things do not take first place. You getting straight A's? Are you getting the bonus? Are you getting the company car? Are you getting the, the, the promotion? None of those things take precedent over these other things. Instead, it's a trickle-down effect, and your ability to succeed and to do well at your profession should start with your relationship with God. And it should trickle down to where then it, it comes out of the fact that your spouse is supportive of you and what you do. And that, that your kids are on board with, with, with what you do, and that, that you do this as a means to provide for them so that you can enhance your family, not so that your profession can take over your family. This is what Paul writes in Colossians um, 3.23. He says, In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. I don't care about the success that people give. 
I don't care about those accolades. Those, those are not the, the thing that drives me. I'm, I'm trying to honor God. And the way that we honor God is by doing the very best that we can in our profession, but so that we can provide for our wife and our kids, and that all of that happens out of the overflow of our relationship with him, and that we realize that we're not trying to, trying to um, impress another person or a supervisor or whatever, that we're doing things because, God, you've given me these skills, you've given me these abilities, and I want to give them back to you, and I just want to glorify you and honor you in what I'm able to do. And that we realize that true success lies not in what others think of us, but in what God thinks of us. That's how we can be people of true provision. If we realize the proper progression, the proper order, that we're first, people. Second, we are partners. Third, we are parents. And fourth, we are professionals. And if we'll get things in that order, that's where God will bring about an incredible amount of provision in our lives that we never even thought possible. See, making these simple shifts and putting things in the proper order will give us success in the things that truly matter. If we get this right, here's what's going to happen. This is what I believe. That putting God first will put us in a better position to receive his blessings in our life. It will strengthen our relationship with our spouse and will bring about a more fulfilling marriage. It will give us greater influence with our children and help us to lead them in accordance with God and with his word. And then finally, we'll no longer find ourselves living to work, but instead, we'll discover what it truly means to just work to live. This is a better way to live, not just because I said it, but because God said it. It's God's way to live. That's why it's a better way to live. Because it's God's way to live. And it will allow us to provide for our families in ways we never thought possible. If we can make just a few simple shifts, get things in the right order, and be the person, the partner, the parent, and the the professional that God has called us to be. It could change the face of our family as we know it. And the legacy that we're able to leave behind if we would start right now to give our families the best of us instead of just the rest of us. And what that begins with is you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Just as simply as I can put it. Maybe you're here today and you've never done that before. You would say, you know, Pastor Blake, I'm not a Christian. I I don't know about this whole Bible thing. But what you've talked about, man, that seems like a way that I would like to live. Well, very simply, it starts with you committing your life to Jesus Christ. It's so easy to do that. In fact, it's as easy as ABC. What you learned right off the bat in kindergarten. A stands for admit. We admit that we're sinners in need of salvation. B is for believe, that we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins and we believe that uh, he rose from the dead so that death and hell and the grave would be defeated. And then C, we choose. We choose to surrender our lives to him and live his way 
in accordance with his word because it's the best way to live. If you'd like to do that this morning, surrender your heart to Jesus Christ once and for all to begin your Christ walk, to live for him. I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's on the screen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Walk Podcast. For more information about Christ Walk Church, please visit thechristwalk.com.